Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint, left, G, U, corner, half back, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. Good morning, Brady. How are you now? I'm doing well, fellas. I enjoyed the, the salmon conversation. The, the Brady lives on a boat. That's the best opinion you're going to hear from me all morning. Kraken should have been named the Sockeye. I know. Have a little fish with a black eye. I've got his fins up. 1930s boxing style. Oh, do we want to go down this exactly. conversation hole again? Because salmon can be eaten by like every single logo in They're the a NHL. Food <laughs> they are a food source. Question one for you, Brady. What percentage chance is there that the Seahawks would trade for Julio Jones? Ooh, I'm going to say 10%. Now, I, I also did not think there was as good a chance that they would trade for Jamal Adams, and they did. Same thing with Jeffy Outclining. I think the difference here is that Julio Jones is 32 years old, and he's making a lot of money, which is, that, that's a bad combination. We're talking about giving up a lot of draft capital. Now, again, there's always a counterpoint here, and I think we've seen the Seahawks uh, last year with the Adams trying. I think that showed that they view first-round picks maybe a little differently, and that, you know, especially a late first-round pick, they realize that there's no guarantees when you draft a guy that late in the first round. When you may be getting a second-round talent, and then, uh, you know, he may get hurt. And so I think they, they, they maybe don't value the first-round picks as much as other people do. I still think it's a long shot, though, because of the age and the salary. How about the fit? And this would be the question. I don't think you're going to ever have too much firepower on offense. But you do have DK Metcalf. You do have Tyler Lockett adding Julio Jones. And then there's kind of the question of how much does Pete Carroll actually want to run the ball? Pete loves big play receivers, though. Do you think Do you think it would if you take the age and the, and the, the salary out of it, it makes football sense? Absolutely, yeah. From a football standpoint, yes, because we know that this offense, really the, the offense for the last few years, has been a very three-receiver-heavy offense. I wish I had the numbers pulled up, but I believe they're about fourth or fifth in the NFL in the last four seasons in terms of percentage of offensive plays with three receivers on the field. And guess who's number one, Danny? The Rams. Uh, so you figure that that's going to be a big part of their offense still. Um, so, and I think that's that's a big reason why they spent their top pick, their second round pick on the Espers, to get, have that very solid number three. Knowing that that number three is basically a third starter in that offense. So when you bring the money and the age into play, then I think it becomes a roadblock because now all of a sudden, I think there's still going to be a team that wants to run the ball. And then now, if you're paying, you know, two receivers over fifteen million dollars, and in one case, whatever Julio Jones is making twenty three million dollars this year. Um, I think then it becomes a big roadblock, but we've seen you can never say never with the Seahawks. We heard Mina Kimes on NFL Live yesterday, Brady, say that one of the ways you could potentially avoid an Aaron Rodgers situation is to bring Julio Jones in. You give Russell Wilson all the weapons he can have. Do you think the Seahawks should prioritize Russell Wilson's happiness this offseason? I, yeah, I think that's important, and I think that in many ways they have. You know, hiring Shane Waldron that was a guy that Russell very much signed off on and wanted. I don't know if he necessarily handpicked Waldron, but I think that was something that, that whether it was entirely because of that or not, but I think that that should have made Russell happy. You know, training for Gabe Jackson, um, Eskridge in the second round. You know, so I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a lack of weapons. I think if you really wanted to make Russell happy, I think the best way to do that would be to get another offensive lineman, but. Then you run into an issue of are you overpaying for somebody, you know, especially this late in the game, who is available. So 
Uh, you know, this was about more than one player with Russell Wilson, but it was very much about the offensive line, I think, in a lot of ways. And so I think certainly Julio Jones, I mean, if you if you gave him a third weapon or a third receiver like that, um, I think that would do the trick. But I also, there's other ways to do that. I think, you know, letting him throw the ball more, letting him go up tempo, which we know he has to do, which it sounds like it's going to be a big part of their offense. I think there's other ways to do that, maybe more cost-effective ways to do that uh, than trading for Julio Jones. But again, you never rule out anything with the Seahawks. Question two. All right, Brady. Pete Carroll's done the best. Nothing to see here. Everything's fine. We knew the truth when it comes to Russell Wilson's frustration with the team. Do you think that frustration has been resolved, or do you think it's just been moved to the back burner, and the frustration I'm talking about is Russell Wilson sort of being frustrated with some of the team's decisions in roster construction? Yeah, I I think it's very much been moved to the back burner, and I think a lot of it is going to depend on what happens this season. And, you know, if that fit with Shane Waldron's offense is a good one, if, if they go up tempo a lot and if, they're, and if their pass protection is better. And remember, it's, you know, they, they traded for Gabe Jackson. That's an upgrade there. But I think that scheme, in theory, should help the pass protection a lot with more of an emphasis on short and intermediate throws. So if all that works and if they get past their divisional round hump, which they have not been able to get over for the last five seasons, um, then I think that then I think that it's going to be smooth sailing. But if those things don't happen and if he's competing behind an offensive line that really only changed out one starter from last season, and if the fit in Shane Waldron's offense, you know, if that's not working, then I, I think you're going to be right back in the same place uh, that we were, you know, this past offseason. And maybe it's to a point where he is asking for a trade as opposed to just subtly saying, okay, you know, if I wanted to be traded, these are the teams. But the landscape in the NFL has certainly changed. Look at the four teams on his list. Um, you know, I don't think any of those teams would make sense for him at this point. So he, he would have to he would have to you know, come up with a new list. Uh, but I do think that I, I do think that if if things don't go well this season, I think it's going to be a repeat and maybe even um, a step further than than where he took it this past off season. How much further do you think he would be willing to take it? Because I have a hard time seeing him go the total means necessary to get out of town, which would involve, I think, sitting out of games. Yeah, and, and that's always the question, is, is, is who would win that standoff? But I do think that he would take it as far as asking for a trade. And, uh, you know, this, what we heard from him this day when he came out and, and voiced his frustration, that was a big step for him because we had never heard him utter really a critical word about the organization for the nine years that he's been here. So, I think that that showed us that he's willing to maybe take a hit to, to his image to some degree to get what he wants. And, um, and again, if it doesn't, if, if this season isn't better, I, I, I do think that he would be willing to take that a step further, Paul. The one thing about Russ, and this shows up in his history, is when he believes he's right, he sticks to it. Like, he doesn't let people push him. He doesn't take the path of least resistance. If he would have, he would have quit baseball when he was at NC State, never ended up going to Wisconsin. If he would have, he might have played baseball instead of football because so many people were telling him he was too short to be a quarterback. Like he's yep. when when he's when he's convinced he's right, he he does sort of dig his heels in and and push back. So I think that's one of this one of the things that makes this so fascinating. Or maybe he just follows the Aaron Rodgers passive aggressive playbook. Uh. <laughs> 
And, and you can even go back you know, to high school. Remember, teams wanted to recruit him as a defensive back because of the height. That's yep. What so you're very right there, Danny. When, when, he, when he wants to be obstinate about something, he will, he will dig his heels in. Question three. And Brady Henderson with us. Brady, what's the biggest remaining question for the Seahawks this offseason? I think it's the Jamal Adams contract. And then, you know, the, the prompt that Mara gave me was, you know, KJ Wright potentially coming back for Jamal Adams' contract. I think it's Adams' contract because I think at this point with KJ Wright, it would take one of the starters getting hurt and or Daryl Taylor just not, you know, not that, that transition to strong side linebacker just not working. Now, either one of those things could happen, but I, I do think that at this point it would, it would take that happening because it seems clear to me that they want a dual, they want a pass rusher in that role. That's why they brought Bruce Servant back last season and why they're trying Darrell Taylor out in that role because they want somebody who can double as a pass rusher. In terms of Adams, I really think it's just a matter of when and how big as opposed to a matter of if they're going to get that contract done. I really think that if, if there was a strong concern that they wouldn't get that deal done, that they would have they would have figured that out before the draft, knowing that they could trade him and, and recoup some of the draft capital they were missing this year. So the fact that it hasn't happened yet, I don't read much into that because this is really the time where typically they get those deals done, those extensions done with players that are under contract for another season. It's spring and summer. You know, Russell Wilson was an exception a couple of years ago. Tyler Lockett was an exception a couple months ago because they needed the cap space. So this is usually when it happens. And the fact that we haven't heard anything from Adams uh, you know, hinting at displeasure over how the stocks are going. I really think that we would hear that because, you know, they heard that in New York when it wasn't going well with him. So the fact that we haven't heard anything, uh, that tells me that um, I, I still feel confident that it's going to get done at some point. I, I agree with you, and you're right about the timeline. It hasn't happened. That said, this is how impasses develop, is this kind of situation where you've got a player who wants to be at the top of his position grade, but also says, I don't really play that position. Like, it's not fair to measure me just against other safeties because because of the pass rush I provide. Like, this is, I'm not saying it will happen, and there's not any sign that it's going to happen, but that's the kind of foundation for it, whether it was Jimmy Graham wanting to be paid as a wide receiver or or different guys who have resented being characterized as a linebacker instead of a defensive end in a 3-4 scheme. These are... There is a there is a potential sticking point. Absolutely, yeah, and then that does happen a lot when it comes to franchise tag designations. I think I, I could definitely see that 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 you know coming up here. Um, and in fact, you know, when I checked on this earlier in the offseason, I, I asked somebody in the front office, you know, what's the level of confidence, and they said, yeah, I feel like something's going to get done. And I posed that same question. Well, you know, what if he wants to be paid like a pass rusher? And, and the answer was, well. You know, then then it could get tricky, and you know I think that if he if he's content with being paid the highest paid safety, you know, the topping Justin Simmons of the Broncos or whatever he makes fifteen point two five million dollars, I think a deal would get done there. Now it, it, I think it would get tricky if he wants to be paid more like a pass rusher, and now you're talking seventeen eighteen. Um, then I think it then I think it things could get difficult there, but um, we'll see. I mean, he, he would he would have a reason to at least ask. You know, uh, leading pass rusher last year, set the sack record for a defensive back with nine and a half. That's really how they use him. So that is, I think, the interesting point here and the interesting counterpoint to, um, you know, what seems like, at least uh, the way I look at it, is uh, I, I feel like a deal is going to get done. I could see that being a holdup, though. That is Brady Henderson of ESPN.com. He does a great job of covering the team. Brady, are you into Jake Paul boxing matches? 
You know, I watched uh, the one with Nate Robinson uh, a few months ago, and it was a very like bootleg setup in my buddy's living room. And so, <laughs> uh, what did he did he fight again, or is he gonna fight? What's what's the deal? Yeah, so he fought a wrestler who looked like a bag of milk, was not in very good shape, knocked him out in the first round, and now he's going to fight a guy named Tyron Woodley, who's 39 years old. He's an MMA fighter as well. This guy at least has some punching power. He's not known as a boxer, and he's lost his past four fights. When you said Tyron Woodley, I was thinking Tyron Wheatley, the old uh, Raiders running I'd back. Watch that. Wow, this is, I'd watch that. I'd watch that, but... Um... <laughs> yeah, I was impressed by the way I, I thought Nate Robinson was going to knock it out. Maybe there was some wishful thinking when I heard Nate Robinson was fighting a YouTube star. But uh, I was impressed by the way he, he – not that I know anything about it. But, uh, I feel, yeah, maybe I I'll felt, watch it now. Maybe, I, now that Tyrone Wheatley's fighting, I'll watch it. <laughs> I felt the same way. And I don't even want to make jokes about Nate Rob because I love Nate Rob. But I just had so much faith in Nate Rob's ability to do anything. Like, it legitimately hurt my heart seeing him go down. I was like, oh, no. And Brady, no. Jake, uh, Danny has a problem here because Danny keeps on watching and paying because he wants yeah. to see Jake Paul get his butt kicked, and it's not I've happening. I've completely fallen. Take my money. Take my money. Take my money until he gets his hairline knocked back. Now, is, is, is this more of a fair fight in terms of size? Because he had a huge size yes. advantage over Nate yes, Robinson. Yes, it is. And that was, I'm sure, a factor. Okay. Yes, and this is, and he had a size advantage in the last one too, though not as much. But Ben Askren was out of shape; he was coming off Oof. of a hip replacement surgery. Yeah, <laughs> he fought oh, did a dude coming a ball up. at home or something. <laughs> yeah, he's an older fella. No, he's a wrestler. He spent his entire life wrestling. He, he had to have his hip replaced. Came out um, of the walker. Wow. Brady, it's great to talk to you. We'll look Thanks, forward Brady. to catching up to you more as as training camp approaches. Okay, you bet. Thanks, fellas. Take care. That is Brady Henderson. You can follow his coverage of the team. He does a great job covering the team. A 710 ESPN Seattle alumnus now at ESPN.com.